Hi everyone, I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgie Young. And welcome to CTE Talk, a podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. Hi everyone and welcome back to CTE Talk. Today is actually the final episode of Series 1. Um, what a great way to end this season by being joined with the lovely Chuck and Mary Hansen who are coming on today to share their son's Evan CTE story. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to introduce everyone and tell your story? Sure. Um, I- I'm Chuck Hansen. Uh, this is my wife, uh, Mary, and um our our CTE story is with our with our son Evan. He um, played uh, American football for uh, he was in his 14th year. He was a senior in college uh, at Wabash College um, Division Three um, football program, and uh, he was um, a starter all four years. And he was captain of the football team. And then in 2018. After the second game, they they had won. That was on a Saturday, and then two days later, he took his own life. Yeah, so um, th- that's kind of the, the the quick story of Evan. Um, you know what happened. It, probably all these stories are a little bit more complicated than that, but it took over a year before, uh, just due to the backlog of of brains that are being tested at Boston University. Uh, it took over a year before we definitively got the answer that he did have CTE. Um, and there's, there's obviously 14 years of football. He was often a play both ways in high school was a running back and a linebacker. Um, mm. So then even in college, he was a starter as a freshman is at, in a middle linebacker. So he um, obviously had a lot of impacts uh, to his head over the years and, and, um, who knows how many small concussions he had, um, just because he was not the kind of person to kind of um, talk about that side, talk about those things, or or to complain about those kind of you know injuries. He just kind of had the mentality to play through them. So that, that's one of um, I guess one thing that's kind of unique in Evan's story is that he was still playing football, a lot, you know, when, when he died, whereas. A lot of times it might be a year or two or 10 or 20 years later that symptoms start to get worse and worse. But for Evan, it, it really was kind of the last couple of years of his life that things got suddenly much more challenging uh, in school and in life. And um, even though he had a lot to live for and, and you know, strong community and family and he was in fraternity and captain of the football team and mm-hmm. very popular young man and, you know, something obviously very um challenging came up that that at that point in time he wasn't wasn't able to handle it but now as we're learning with through concussion legacy foundation and and other people from around the world we realize that evan's story isn't that unique it there's just a lot of um people suffering at you know later in life after after uh, getting you know, lots of impacts to the head, you know, growing up, you know, particularly playing sports, whether it's football or soccer or hockey or rugby, America, Australian rules football, right? They, they all, they all, uh, we now know can have some 
very negative side effects, long-term permanent side effects to, to people's brains. Well, I guess part of the issue in the beginning was that when he said he was depressed, it was a little bit strange, but on the other hand, we had mental illness on both sides of our families. So my first thought wasn't that he had a brain injury. It was just maybe he was at a point in his life where things were getting more challenging or I don't know, you know how mental illness is sometimes that you have a trigger and then, you know, there you are. So we started him on some different medicines. Um, and unfortunately, because he was kind of tough, he kept taking this antidepressant. And when I told my sister, who's been on meds for like 25 years, she said, he should have never been on that medicine because it gave him like a stomach ache and he was having to eat like different types of foods. And he didn't share any of that with us until much later. Like he had been on that medicine probably for about, I don't know, six or seven months before he shared that with us. And apparently that is not good, right? Like if you're taking some kind of antidepressant and you have physical manifestations of that, then that means your body is not. So that's the real downside of having any kind of medical issue happening in a college situation because you're not mm. really there being able to know what's going on. So long story short, by the time he was back in his senior year, we were trying to get him to take a, a test. And I think they take your saliva and then they're able to recommend an antidepressant that works better for your body. And a couple of my remember that. said it totally changed their kids' lives. So because Evan was in Spain and then he came back, you know, to the States, we were trying to get all this done and we were having problems getting it done. So they put him on, they put him on something else at Wabash. It was that one that did have a high suicide rate. Zimbalta. Zimbalta. So apparently they felt like he needed something. We did that. That's a strong drug, yeah. Right. So he did that one. And I'm not saying that it was like what did it, but you kind of wonder, you know, because it does, if you read the fine print for his age group, it has a very high uh, suicide rate. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I was working on, and this was the Friday before he died, I said, we are definitely not making any progress fast. And so I said, what other reasons would you be depressed or whatever? And I contacted a doctor at IU about traumatic brain injury. Cause like, what do they give people that have traumatic brain injuries? And a lot of times they give them steroids or, you know, something like that. So I had a phone call into that doctor on Friday and needless to say, I didn't get a response. And then I not that it would have made a difference, but then I had to tell them, well, you know, he actually died on Monday. And so, mm -hmm. but I think that we were actually finally getting closer to understanding more what was going on at that moment in time. Wow. So how, how long was Evan having um, the depression? Like, did, did, or no, did you notice changes or what age was, did that start going on? It, it was just like a, a year, little year and a half year to year and a half before he died so he was 20 
at the time. So growing up, he never had any issues like that. And um, good student, you know, obviously successful, you know, um, had lots of friends, lots of good things going on. You know, he was already making plans to go to school after college, probably to do a um, physician's assistant or a nursing program or, or something along those lines. So those plans were, he was actively working on that. Um, and even he, he didn't really want to tell us that he was depressed because he's like, I really don't understand it, but his girlfriend forced him to tell us, his girlfriend at the time. And I'm not exactly sure why he didn't want to mention it, but whatever. And that's how we kind of found out about it. So I guess it was a blessing that she actually said something at that point in time. But he had kind of bounced back the spring and summer before he died. He died in the fall. Obviously, September was beginning of football season. So he he was, we thought, on, on the upswing. So for things to, to go um, so terribly wrong so quickly was, was definitely a, uh, a surprise to us. Yeah, so... He, he didn't share a lot about that. Um, you know, definitely there there can be an attitude in, in, in sports and particularly football and particularly with Evan, you just play through things. So whether you have knee surgeries or, you know, problems with your neck or back or your shoulder pops out of socket or um, first practice. They're injury, very, he broke his they're finger. very tough. <laughs> he broke his finger the first day of practice. So. He didn't want to miss the senior season, so he should have had surgery, but they just taped it up every, taped it to his other finger every every game. And you're a linebacker, so you're you're using your hands all the time. So basically every practice, every game, you know, you know you're, you're just fighting through injuries and whatnot. And, and so obviously that's, that's part of the game. So unfortunately, there's some things like brain injuries that... <laughs> We now know you, those aren't things you try to tough your way through those, you know, it's, it's a different category of, uh, of issues when physical pain, I guess is one thing, but, um, mental anguish or instability, um, difficulties, that's a completely different category that, you know, people should not try to push through by themselves. Right. And the thing is about mental illness and things like that and brain injuries it is that it's invisible. And that's what's so hard about CT as well. It's an invisible disease. So you've got these strong, tough athletes that actually they look perfect from the outside, but they're really struggling from the inside. And I think when you mentioned about how he didn't actually mention about his depression, I think it's mental illness is really hard to disclose to people, especially when you can't put a finger on yourself of what, is the trigger or what has caused it. And if there's no reason, you almost start to blame yourself and start thinking, well, why why do I feel like this? And I think it's really tough when it's kind of in that sense. I just wondered, obviously, when the symptoms started showing and you mentioned how there's mental illness in both sides of your family, so you went down that route first. Did CT ever come up or had you heard of it? I just wondered what your kind of background was on, on that information. Not I wouldn't. I would if, if there was no. anything, it was it was it would have been a pretty minor um, issue as far as like the doctors and and his treatment going. There, it, it was there was nothing special because of all the sports and football that he had played. So, and as far as CTE, that was something that I think maybe at that time the the 
concussion movie had just come out roughly around that time and um, I had not seen it, but I, I, I heard of it, but it, it I was, guess, yeah, the other thing that was kind of interesting was that the timing of everything was just perfect because we did like we didn't really know about the CTE and because of the social media and the fact that he was a beta we were able to actually get his brain donated because I did tell Chuck that I wanted his brain donated like when we found out that he was dead I said that brain needs to be analyzed so I knew that I wanted it looked at and then the coroner said that he couldn't get enough pieces together to be able to donate it but then I think Chris Nowinski contacted us and contacted the coroner and said hey we've taken really really tiny pieces of brain and we've been able to analyze it so we need you to send us what you can send us but now we realize that there's only a 24-hour window so I'm really grateful that we were able to um, have that conversation with Concussion Legacy Foundation because we did not know about the 24-hour window and obviously we were having trouble with the coroner wanting to do what we were asking him to do. Had you heard of Concussion Legacy Foundation before Evan passed? No. 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 Wow, yeah. so, but you knew, you knew his brain needs to be analyzed and that, and you're like, I'm gonna find someone yeah, to yeah. analyze it. Time, I think like the concussion movie, that was really talking more about NFL players and maybe 10, 20, 30 years after you're done with the NFL was kind of, and not, there was less focus on college age or, you know, um, right. now we know that there are, are a lot of college football players that maybe have, maybe not advanced levels, but, you know, the stage one, especially um, the beginnings of, of, of CTE. And, and, and it's true that CTE, I mean, it is one disease that is caused by this, but I think the whole issue is a lot more complicated than that. Um, you know, th there's just a lot of things that go on in the brain, whether, you know, it's, it's Lou Gehrig's disease or Parkinson's or Lewy body disease or white matter damage or, and all these other things that are happening kind of in parallel with CTE. And, you know, whether it's the CTE that causes these problems or it's CT and something else that's causing, for example, in young men and, uh, you know, particularly that, that play football, why there's, there, there's kind of that group of young men in their 20s that are having such problems. Then there's, you know, kind of the, the secondary group that it, it happens later in life in their 40s, 50s, 60s, when they start having more advanced, you know, stage three and four versions of, of, of CTE. But it, it's definitely a, a complicated um, issue. And, and George, I think you're, you're even talking about you know, mental health being inside your head. Well, obviously all these things that are physically happening to your brain are obviously all inside the skull. You can't look at these things directly while people are living. Uh, even the scans are, are of limited benefit at this point, although they're making progress. Um, and, and the other part of, you know, it's one thing to break your finger, you know, like Evan did on the first practice. Well, you know what happened finger broke it happened because of of this issue cte and these issues they crop up years and tens you know decades later at times for some people so how do you backtrack to what actually caused it right especially when you played 
football for so many years or had other, you know, activities perhaps. Um, tracing all that back is so complicated, and that's one reason why I think we're in the situation we are, is that it, it's not so obvious when someone blows out their knee or, um, you know, that, um, that Buffalo Bills player, who you know, um, Hanlon, I guess his name, you know, you get hit and your heart stops. Well, it's pretty obviously what happened, right? I mean, whereas the CTE that <laughs> that's going on and, and other brain damage is is um, might not manifest itself up for for years or, or twenty years from now, but then it's it creeps up on people. It's like, what's going on? And that's what we're trying to get awareness of. You know that it's this is not an isolated incident. It happens much more than people think it does. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that it's so remote and difficult to to diagnose because of it's inside your brain um it's it's just it's it's kind of like we're, we're literally seeing the tip of the iceberg there's so much suffering and um impacts of this this disease that are all under the water that just aren't made public that people don't know about sometimes even the people suffering it are, maybe don't realize what's happening and mm -hmm. You know, that's what we're trying to, we're, that's what we're all trying to do, right, is to bring awareness to, to this uh, disease, you know, how, do, how can we prevent it, how can we help people that may have it, you know, what can we do in the future as far as diagnosing and, and treating and, you know, what the symptoms um, mm -hmm. and, and moving all this forward, but it's, it's such a big problem involving so many people now. In Georgia, this is a problem, not just the United States, right? It's it's a problem that goes to Australia, New Zealand, the UK, uh, Europe, South America, Brazil. Um, this is getting attention now worldwide, which is, which is huge, right? But, um, and we just, I guess we have to be happy with the direction it's going, even though we know that it should be going faster. But um, we know that there is progress being made. Yeah, everything you've said is you've hit the nail on the head. And I think with humans, we're such visual beings that we look at someone with CT and you can't you can't see it. it's invisible. So it, we really struggle to understand it. And and it's it's through individuals like yourselves, like talking about stories that people can put the two and two together and really understand what's going on and what actually happens inside the brain um, as an effect of all these years of concussions. Um, and also age is a big thing. And when you said that you hadn't really heard of CTE, when you, even though that movie concussion had come out, you might have heard some speculation. Again, you, no one knew at that point that people as young as Evan could have CTE. And I think that's, again, important to reiterate that CTE does not affect just older ex-NFL players. It can affect a range of people, a range of different ages. And it's so important to share the young stories for people to really put the two and two together. But you're so right. I mean, we definitely are stepping in the right direction. And I think all the research is obviously upcoming. And like you said, more and more people are globally are understanding what CTE is. Hopefully one day we'll get to a point where it can be diagnosed in the living. But I still think that Obviously, I haven't personally gone through the, the situation myself, but I understand from the research side and speaking to people that nothing really does help. Like even the information and stuff, you might know what it could be, but this, the experience is so hard and the symptoms prevail in such different ways. It's so hard to navigate for the patient and also the family members too. So 
but hopefully like you said one day we'll definitely get in a better position well the thing that's and yeah, probably the most tragic about it all is that for example um there was a younger boy that we knew that had been struggling for a few years with alcohol apparently and he wasn't able to go to school and you know his parents basically thought that he had alcohol issues and we tried to get them to donate his brain and they wouldn't do it because Chuck and I both thought that he probably had CTE because he was a football player you know American football player probably about the same number of years as Evan and he was actually not playing in college but he played rugby in high school and he was probably self-medicating mm. right so these people are either drinking they're doing drugs um they have depression they have, they depression. have a, bit of, a bit of paranoia go on goes on sometimes and a lot of times they're just not nice to be around and so right they have personality changes you know very yes so then when there is a death it's like well okay that chapter is closed and people are just like well it's time to move on and no one thinks about well their brain should be let's understand um what happened to the brain you know just Mm -hmm. like for aaron hernandez for example you know obviously there's a that's a complicated story but to have this severe cte that he had you know that had to have some type of impact on on some of the decisions he made you know Mm -hmm. right because there's our big impulse control is another big one in in the 20s when when the younger men get it right yeah that's that's definitely the which goes to the you know aaron hernandez he's not making very good concrete decisions yeah and i guess um you know we have evan was our middle son so we had two other boys that played a lot of football too. So it was very important for me to know if he did have CTE because our other kids could have CTE eventually. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it could, right? If it's got a genetic component and our older son yeah. actually was suicidal a couple of years ago and he did go through the process at Concussion Legacy Foundation and they felt like based on the questions that they asked him that he didn't have CTE, you know, that his was more just um, anxiety or Mm. some other kind of mental illness that, you know, he's working on, but they did put him in contact with that one. He he had like a peer um, mentor. Um, I forget if, I think it was the one guy from Washington, University of Washington that lost his brother. And so they were able to to talk. I don't know how much they talk now, but so we did use that. Um, what would you call that resource? Mm-hmm. You know, the sibling resource, mm-hmm. um, because I think that not only are you sad that you lost your sibling, but you're kind of wondering, okay, when am I going to get CTE? Because even though I didn't play 14 years of football, I played 10. Mm-hmm. Or you know what I'm saying? Yes, that's it's. It's scary for for the young for any of these people that are just finding out about CTE or and then realizing oh wow you know I've had a lot of concussions or a lot of impacts right and if you and you start talking to former football players um, 
about the issue of concussions and not reporting concussions. I don't know if, if there's any that say that don't admit to, well, yeah, I, I didn't report concussions I knew I had. I mean, it's it's almost kind of an epidemic. <laughs> or, it is. Or, it's, sadly, it's the culture, isn't it? We, I know it's changing now, but I think especially athletes are told that they've got to be these strong individuals. They can't show any sign of weakness because it's going to impact the game or it's going to impact the way they're perceived by their opponents. And I think that there's so, so, so many people that just kept their mouth shut sadly and they didn't get the right treatment. They didn't look after themselves. And, and now this is why we are in such an epidemic, but Although it's changing now and things like commentating and the way that the commentators speak about concussions or if a player falls down or is knocked out, it's kind of changing. There's still that stigma there, isn't it? Because I think the love of the game seems to be stronger than kind of the side effect or the effect that can can happen as a result of all of those kind of impacts. Right. And I, it, it was a former NFL player. I'm trying to remember at one of the events, but just what's the most important ability to have when you're an NFL player and it's availability. I mean, you, you need to play, right? I mean, that's, the, if, if you want to be here next week, next month, next year, you just have to play through stuff, you know, and if not, then get onto your, your next career. Cause they, there's, there's not room for you for people that are chronically injured or have the perception of being injured. And so you just learn to, to play through things and, well, and I remember my oldest son had a concussion and I was in the office with the doctor and it was the same week that Tim Tebow had had a concussion and the doctor was telling me that basically at the college level, even, you know, he was sitting in a dark room all day long, like he wasn't allowed any kind of outside stimuli at all, lights, anything. I think he could eat and that was about it because they basically wanted him to be able to play by Saturday. Yeah, it's so wrong, isn't it? And at that point in time, that's I don't how think they treated it. Tim Tebow could say, "Well, I'm not going to do it." He probably now he probably would, you know. But at the time, then I mean, he just did what they but, told but the him to do. The players want to play, and the, the players coach, do want to play. The coaches want him to play. His teammates want him to play. The fans want him to play. So that's what happens. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. You don't want to let anyone down and you're you're right about the whole availability thing. I think when you're a sportsman or an athlete, you're so paranoid that if you take one game off, there's someone who's going to replace you and do a better job. So it's this whole competitive nature and I think that relays especially in this situation. Yeah, and it's but it's true. I mean, unfortunately it's true. <laughs> you can get knocked out and get replaced and and your replacement starts playing really well. It's like, well, okay, it's it's a it's an think, un- unfortunate reality of, of sometimes playing sports, but but the reality of permanent brain injury, I, I think people. It's one thing I think athletes have a certain sense, like oh well, yeah, in thirty years maybe I have to get my knee replaced, or I'll have to get you know my shoulder done, or or what you know. But hopefully surgery, hopefully technology will improve in the next thirty years, right? But they don't factor in what what it does to your brain. And the brain is really defines who you are. It's how you think. It's how you relate to the world. It's how you relate to other people. It's how you enjoy things. It's how you learn things, right? And if that's not working right, then none of the rest matters. If your brain isn't healthy and, and functioning properly, there's, there, there's really nothing worse that can happen to you. 
right? And that's, I think, something that they don't factor in to the long-term risks. I think people know about, okay, well, I might have some knee problems, so I'll be hobbling around a little bit, but for all the glory and money that I got, I'm willing to trade that off, you know? But people really, just because it's those stories of people suffering and kind of locking themselves away, you don't hear those stories because they're locked away or they're they're not in the news. They're not in social media. They're not, you know, the NFL on CBS. They don't run stories about those players that are living in a hotel somewhere um, <laughs> with, with, with these issues, right? I mean, you just don't, we now know that they're out there. It's just that you don't hear about them. And that's, and so it doesn't, I think the current player round of players just don't even know that that's like something they should be thinking about, you know, as a, as a possibility down the road. Um, but I do think like Andrew Luck, he retired as a Colts quarterback. And I think he probably wanted to protect his brain. He didn't say that. He just said he retired. And there were a lot of people that were critical of him leaving so you've got that side of it too right like you make the decision that okay i am going to protect my brain who is that wisconsin player boland there's there's Chris been a boland. few over the boland, year like the last boland five years last. yeah there's more i think there's more and i mean we all love the nfl and and big time saturday college football i mean so how, i think that the goal is how can we keep that by changing the rules, changing the practice, really scaling back at younger ages, you know, kindergarten through 13, 14 years old, shouldn't be playing tackle football. They shouldn't be heading soccer balls. They shouldn't be, you know, having full contact in, in hockey or rugby or, or whatnot at, at that age. Because if you get rid of those years, you know, Evan's 14 years drops to six or, or seven or eight years, right? And yeah. then if you change practice schedules where the majority of hits happen in practice and you change some things about um, how the game is played and you see that they're making some changes already. Well, now the, the, the 20,000 hits that haven't got maybe would go down to 8,000. Well, maybe that would be, maybe he could have worked through that. Right. You know, it just how, how, because realistically the, the NFL is not going anywhere. Right. At least, not not in the near future. There's and, not enough evidence that every single person that plays football is going to get CTE. Right. So I think we have to control, try to keep that, you know, um, the parts that people love, but you know, you know, make the changes that that help protect the players. And I mean, I've I've been to many NFL practices, you know, as an observer over the years. And I mean, the last couple of years I've been to uh, NFL here in Indianapolis and in Green Bay, I didn't see anyone hit anybody in the entire practice. I mean, they they realize that they need to protect themselves and the, and the NFL has to protect the players. So there's very limited amounts of just, you know, pad cracking and head cracking and then what in practice, right? They, it, it's also scaled back. I mean, they're, they're doing things, but without the, the risk to the, to, to the players. And there's no way that it was like that 20 years ago or 40 years ago. I mean, it, you know, it, it was a meat grinder in practice. But it's and also the, the younger groups, right? Like if you watch some of these shows where they're going into the hood and they're 
starting these like football leagues and everything. It's very challenging for these mothers, I'm sure, because they would rather have their kid involved in something like peewee football than running the streets and doing nothing. So then it That's becomes, another do those thing. coaches, yes. are those coaches doing what they need to do to keep the game safe, right? Because yeah. I've seen wow. some of those so many. shows where you're kind of like, okay, how how much do these guys actually know about the the damaging side of football, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're out there trying to get the boys to do what they need to do and win games and this and that. Mm -hmm. And that's that younger, right? The younger leagues, the, the coaches are most times dads. They, they don't know about concussions and neurological impacts. The players, obviously they're 10 years old. They don't know anything. There's no um, doctors or or what have you, uh, sideline staff to help. So it's kind of a wild west when it comes to protecting kids' brains at, at that age. Whereas once you start getting in even high school and obviously above that, then you do have trainers and, and the, you know, team doctors and, 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 and things like that to um, bring, bring some kind of information and diagnosing skills, you know, to, to uh, to practices and games. Um, so that's why I think the, the Concussion Legacy Foundation, that's one thing they are pushing is youth football. Let's, let's, let's make a transition. And a lot of this is happening, um, is already happening. You know, transition more to, to um, flag football, you know, get rid of heading in, so in soccer or football, um, cross, -check, cross checking in hockey, all these kind of things at a certain age. So that yeah, there still is the ability for people to play at the higher levels. First of all, they have the decision whether they want to play or not. You know, an 18-year-old has more, or a 16-year-old or 20-year-old has more of the ability to make a decision than an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. They're, they're just doing what their parents tell them or their friends want them to do. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I think that's a, I think a big step is is trying to. Um, realize that the NFL is not going anywhere and not that we want it to go away. I mean, it's, it's a lot of uh, fun to watch and, and, and so on, but how, how can we keep that? But, it, you know, at the same time, protect the millions of kids that are, are playing sports mm -hmm. um, and, and putting themselves now, we know at, at risk for long-term health, you know, mental health issues and brain function later in life. And, people that haven't gone through it don't realize, you know, how, how life can turn into kind of a living hell when, when, when brains stop working properly. I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I know I have. You'll hear a story about like a shooting. I'll never forget. It was Rock Hill, South Carolina, because that's kind of where I, I went to school in that part of the country. My sister and I said, I, I bet that guy has CTE because he was a former football player. And sure enough, about a year later, they announced that, yes, he was positive for CTE. So you start seeing these stories in the news and you connect the dots a lot better, right? If you're aware of it, it doesn't make it good or bad. It just shows that there is an awareness and a, almost like a path that these stories tend to end up and I mean sometimes 
as sad as I am that, you know, Evan is gone, I'm like, could he have killed somebody, gone on a shooting spree like this guy, mm-hmm. you know? And then we would have a totally different story. Sure. It's the unknown we... what's scary, isn't it? It's the unknown and everyone's story is so different. And everyone's behaviors are so different from the same disease. So it's really hard to put the two and two together. And like you said, you just don't know what way it's going to go. So, I mean, in this situation, as bad as it was to lose him, there wasn't really anybody else that he destroyed, you know, as a part of, of his disease. Yeah. To me, it's so crazy though, because I know we've collectively said that the NFL's going nowhere, but I wonder what they're so scared of. Why are they so scared of people coming out and talking about CTE? And so to me, it's just so bizarre that we know that most people are still going to support the NFL. There's still going to people be people that want to play. Again, it's the whole thing of the unknown. People don't know what it's going to do to the reputation of them. Right. I mean, it's definitely a culture thing. I mean, it, and it, it is a money thing too, right? I mean, there's a, the NFL's, you know, churning out billions of dollars for a lot of people, right? Whether it's the, the networks, the, the teams, the owners, the cities, you know, no one wants that to stop. <laughs> so um, I think there's just fear of what, what um, acknowledging this is doing to certain players. Um, because there's a lot they could do i mean this impact of you know i mean that's why the ncaa for example was formed was to try to protect college athletes that were dying playing football and that's you can go to the ncaa website and it says right there that's why they were formed and so 100 years later we still have college football players dying and you know but the but college you know division one football i mean how much money are they generating now? You know, it's the NCAA is, is a, is a money, money machine more than an athlete protection, you know, organization, right? I mean, they've, they've, they've transitioned away from, from, from that. So. Um, now I know that like when we've had conversations with Evan's high school coaches, they honestly felt like they were doing everything they could to make the game safe. I mean, they really did. And so it That's really, know. it really broke their hearts as much as mm-hmm. ours, right? They're like, we're going to practice. We think we're doing everything. And, and they also said that sometimes they feel like we could be doing the right thing, like stepping up, right? And being leaders and running our practices this way and that way. But then in the back of their minds too, it's like, well, what are the other teams doing? So if they're not following all of the protocols that we are, are we going to end up getting beat? And I think that that's the level of experimentation that at the high school level, they have to prove to themselves that we can do less hitting, we can do less this, we can do less that, we can do more of this, more of that, and we can still maintain a very competitive championship type of program. That's kind of what I heard from them as far as the transition goes, because in our area, we actually have had two football players, Evan and his friend Trace, and they both went to the same high school and they're both dead and poor Trace. They don't even know what he died of. They just say it was a what white matter. It was neurological. It's neurological, but they don't have a name mm. for it. 
So wow. we've got two young boys, right? And it really shook the the football leagues around here because they started having to combine Catholic schools because they didn't have enough kids from each school to form teams. So, I mean, I think that there are things happening. Um, it might just not be happening as fast as we want it to happen. I think that's a result of the parents stepping up. You know, Too, right. Yeah, if, if kids aren't showing up to play, you know, football as a 10 year old, well, that's the parents getting involved. Um, I mean, I. I, th I think the NFL is doing certain things. I think they just kind of do it behind the scenes. You know, just from what I've seen, you know, there are some rule, some rule changes. There are um, the way they do practices is quite a bit of difference. I think the NFL Players Association is, is lobbied for a lot of that. I th it seems like less of it is has trickled down to college. And then once you get to the high school and lower levels, it's, it's you know, a little bit like the Wild West again. I mean, schools do what they want to do. and coaches do what they want to do and there's no um you know the, the high school associations could start working to try to control the number of of impacts that that players get throughout the year it's, to my knowledge they haven't done that yet um and, and again younger age it's probably just more appropriate to have football like flag football and just reduce those number of impacts that happen up to a certain age and then when when uh the athletes are more athletic and can make their own decisions. They can decide to, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what sports they want to play and, and how they want to play them. Mm. It's all of them small changes, isn't it? That hopefully will make a bigger picture and a bigger change one day. And we want, like you said, individuals to be able to make their own decision before they can't, or their brain is too damaged for them to be able to kind of even comprehend what the decisions were to be made. So I think that's what's key. And that comes with education and awareness and sharing your story. And I think that's what people really want to hear. They want to hear as hard as they are to tell, I can imagine. Um, they want to hear the real life stories because that's where you get the most understanding from. Right. And, you know, and you sports, it, there's, there's so many good things that come out of, you know, uh, even, you know, youth football, there, there's a lot of good things that come out of it. It's just that how can we keep the good things and get rid of the part that may cause permanent long-term damage to people? You know, it's not like get rid of all sports and, and have nothing that's challenging. There's a lot of things. Running a marathon is hard. It involves, doesn't involve smashing your head against the wall, right? There's a lot of things that are very yeah. challenging physically that you have to be very tough to do. And it gives you discipline that don't involve permanently damaging your brain, right? And that's, mm. um, you know, what we're we're trying to kind of communicate to to parents, um, you know, be, you know, because youth sports are, are fun for the and and beneficial for the, the the kids. They're also fun for the parents. You know, it's fun when your children are playing different sports and and you see them succeed and having a you know positive experience. So. I mean, the one thing to be a parent, though, is just to, to realize what's best for them and your your entertainment and satisfaction is secondary when it comes to the, the health of, of, of your, your children. Well, and I'll be honest with you, there's people that you tell, like I tell the story to, and their kid's going to, you know, continue on and play college football. And I mean, that's their choice, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. You can just share your story and people 
take what they want and leave what they want. And I mean, I don't think anybody that I've actually talked to has changed their mind. We have family members that like my nephews are not playing tackle football because they're younger. They played flag all the way through, through eighth grade. My brother that's, was able that's to- That's good. Right, so I mean, you know, somebody has to take the leadership role and say, okay, my kid's not gonna play flag or tackle, but he's gonna play flag. Do you guys wanna come play flag with us over at this, right? I mean, it takes that kind of leadership to get people to um, say, oh, the, you know, seven on seven can be really fun. You know, you don't have yeah. to put pads all the time. And because a lot of it is about the, the costuming of it, right? Mm-hmm. They have the idea that they want to wear the helmet. They want to wear the jerseys. They want to feel big and tough at third grade. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I saw yeah. it happen in my own house, you know, and then there's that certain camaraderie about it. And that's the mm-hmm. thing about football, right? It's like, and that's why it's so hard, I think, for some of these people, including Evan, to say, I'm not going to play anymore. Yes. It becomes such a part of them, you know, especially that camaraderie. And the, and the longer they play, the more of that they have. So I mean, I think he I think that, pretty much decided that he wasn't going to play after college. So after he graduated, he was like, I'm, I'm done. Because I think he felt like his body was just enough was enough. Hmm. A, a few weeks before that, I mean, he was still considering to, to play, for example, there's some European professional fo- American football leagues. So he, he, he was strongly considering to do that, but I think maybe the last couple of weeks he was physically, he just didn't think he wanted to do it anymore. But um, he loved playing football, you know, and, you know, like, like I said, I think there's a lot of good things and it's, you know, um, the NFL's not going anywhere. Big time college football's not going anywhere. So how can you keep that, you know, if you want to keep that, then what do you have to change to keep that, right? And so maybe it's, well, we need to change youth football and get high schools more in tune with with changing practice and changing games to limit the amount of, 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 of impacts. And it's not a sport you can ever 100% get rid of it, but, you know, we kind of know that it's, it's a dose, you know, response, the, the more... The more you get hit, the more years you play, the more likely you are to get CTE. You know, that's what the research many years, you know, uh, coming out of Boston University showed that every year you play, it's 30% more chance that that, um, you're going to get CTE. Well, I think if you look at like the Mannings, they never Mm. really played tackle football until junior high. So they were in that, you know, 12, 13 year. Now that didn't mean they didn't mess around like in the backyard, but as far as organized tackle football, they were, and I think Tom Brady was the same way. So there's like a, seems like there's this window of time where all of a sudden more competitive type youth youth football um, leagues started and they obviously took off, right? In a big way. Because there's mm-hmm. that window, because I think right now, if you look at a lot of those NFL players, I don't think they're letting their kids play tackle football. I think they are um, having them play flag until they get older. 
obviously the one Manning is in college, right? Cause he's, or he's in high school right now, but some of the younger ones like Drew Brees' kids. And I think um, they, they talk about them playing flag football. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's very interesting. Makes sense though. I mean, if they would be a little more open about that, right? Like, okay, my mm -hmm. kid's doing this. I think that you would have a lot more people that would probably consider it, right? But you've got so many people trying to, we were never guilty of this, even though we had really good athletes. We just wanted our kids to have fun. But you've got a lot of parents now that are looking for like a ride to college. And they mm. think, oh, if I start my kid in football in first grade or whatever, he's gonna be a, a college football player. Well, that is just crazy. They changed so yeah. much. Mm. I mean, they yeah, really- Yeah, that's true. Sadly, people don't listen until it's a bit too late. And I think that what we want people to do is, is, is really listen to kind of what can happen if we aren't looking after our brains properly, if we are engaging in these high impact sports from a young age. And like we said, we're not going to, we're not trying to stop sport. We're not trying to change people's love for it. But if people can take away one thing from this conversation or learn one thing from it, then hopefully we can change kind of one person's education and awareness on it. And that should hopefully start a snowball effect, which I definitely, definitely think it has because we've come a such a long way from the past 10 plus years ago now. So hopefully that is an upward spiral in terms of getting more and more people to acknowledge CT and understand it, to stop the amount of individuals who probably have to experience it firsthand. Yeah. Plenty of sports that you can start at a younger age um, or more cross training. That's what I keep hearing too, is you've got kids that are like having knee injuries at much younger ages because mm. they're getting too focused on one sport so like for example we have a good friend and and he played you know football in high school but you're if you were a football player you were also a wrestler in the winter like mm. you did that and then in the spring i was thinking about ted then didn't they play baseball in the spring or something so they were being athletes but they were being multi-sport athletes for some reason now, everybody's got this idea that you need to like focus in on whatever your your sport is at a very young age and just continue to play it. Well, it's really not been healthy for a lot of these kids. They're having a lot of injuries that they've never had before because they're working those same muscles instead of, um, oh. you know, cross training, right? Alternating sports. Alternating so. sports. They're just doing year-round soccer, year-round basketball, year-round whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I think that is just a change in mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you have in your mind that your kid is going to be football, then that's going to be a problem, right? Because they're just going to get that many more hits. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the key to this conversation is you've got to be open-minded and that Playing, playing football, like you said, is not the be all and end all. There is so many other opportunities that brings the same kind of effects that football bring, whether that's like the camaraderie, that teamwork, the athleticism, whatever it may be, the determination. Um, yeah, you can get that in other avenues. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's even in the last 30, 40 years where 
youth sports has become such a business and such a high pressure, big time thing. You know, I think, you know, kids used to be more kids and, 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 um, you know, weren't kind of exposed to, to this kind of big business, hmm. youth sports kind of, of machine that's kind of been created. And, and in one hand, it, you can see, see why it happened, but on the other hand, it, it's probably swung too far. Um, and, you know, we just need to step back and, and, fit, and again, go back to that question of, of how do we keep the good things in the sports, you know, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the discipline, you know, keeping kids out of trouble, giving them something to do, but, you know, you know, improving them physically, uh, helping them with teamwork. There's a lot of things you can do and, and then get rid of the things that, that can cause them permanent lifetime hurdles and obstacles and difficulties. Right. And, and let's keep the, keep the 90% of the good thing and figure out how to let's, let's get rid of that 10% or reduce it as much as possible. That's, that's what we've learned. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for telling us kind of your story and Evan's story. And also I think a lot of our listeners are going to be super interested in hearing your perspective in in this whole culture change and the change in youth sports. I think it's going to give a lot of people a lot to consider. So thank you so much for coming Mm -hmm. in and sharing that with us today. We do really, really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you both so much. We're happy to do it. Thank you so much. Take care. That is the end of today's episode, everybody. And that is the end of season one of CT Talk. Thank you so, so much for all of the support and all of the episodes. And also thank you to every single family member, um, doctor who came on and shared their story. We really do appreciate it. And we will be back in the middle of May for season two. So take care, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. Bye.